Craft Beer Radio, episode 36, March 27th, 2006. Welcome to Craft Beer Radio, the show for craft beer and the craft brewing industry. I'm Greg Weiss. And I'm Jeff Baer. This week, Lambiques. We're doing the Belgian-style Lambique. These are spontaneously fermented beers. Mm. You make some beer wort, you sit it out, you let the little microbiota fall in, and it makes beer. Certain parts so it's of sort the, of an old style. It's an old style, yes. Uh, before they discovered yeast and mm. cultivating certain kinds of yeast. It's a... Uh, Style that's pretty much only brewed in Belgium, the Seine Valley. They have the right kind of little bugs in the air there, little yeast and bacteria and stuff. But there are other places where you can brew it. Oh, you can brew it other places. But you if, you tried to brew it, get. if you tried to brew it here, you might get something pretty funky. <laughs> so let's jump on to business. business First time. piece of business. Jeff is getting a new job. Jeff, you got a new job? I got a new job. Congratulations. Yes, it's, uh, it's going to be good for me. It's about five minutes from my house. Wow. awesome. Your new house or your old house? Five minutes from here. I guess it'll be less than 10 minutes from the new house, so that'll be cool. There you go. What that means is um, a little less likely to be at the Great American Beer Festival this year. And that's fine because I was thinking with all the vacation I'm taking for the Japan trip, it's not likely that I'm going to be able to go either because other things will probably get in the way. Right. So we'll see. But Even though the 25th anniversary, I may have to make some time. We'll see. <laughs> I am also kind of a celebrity. I was in two local newspapers this week on articles about home brewing. I heard you also have a radio show. Craft Beer Radio. <laughs> Actually, I know there was at least one listener who found us in the one article. Really? Outstanding. Getting some local listeners. If you are listening to the show for the first time because you saw us in the Butler Eagle or the North Journal, let us know. You can email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. We had a listener, Monkey Toe, sent us some beer. Monkey Toe. Sent us uh, two of the beers from the Bell's Wheat Project, two and four, so we can give those guys a try. I love wheat beers. And he also sent us some other goodies. One was from Upland. It was Upland's Winter Warmer. And I don't recall the other two beers he sent us. So thank you, Monkey Toe. Thanks, Monkey Toe. <laughs> we also had a listener who sent us a donation. So thank you, Robert. Robert, we, we really appreciate it. Did you tell a friend about Craft Beer Radio in the past week and a half? I did. Did you? Excellent. <laughs> That's our new grassroots marketing thing we're doing here. We're trying to spread the word, grow our audience about Craft Beer Radio. So if you're out drinking with some friends or... Just uh, see a guy who looks like he's a pretty big beer geek sitting over there at the bar. Strike up a conversation and tell him a little bit about craft beer radio or work it into the conversation. Yeah. I get pretty embarrassed sometimes talking about it because, you know, it is. You know, yeah, but you're not the shameless self-promoter. So. Yeah. <laughs> there are several ways you can send us feedback for the show. You can post a comment on the website, which is craftbeerradio.com. You can vote for us on Podcast Alley and leave a comment. You can send us an email or audio comment to the email address beer at craftbeerradio.com. You can write us a letter and stick it into a small drawer and hope it gets to us somehow. <laughs> but that's probably not the best way to contact us. <laughs> probably not. Let's jump on to email. We had tons of email since we recorded the last show, so thanks all of yeah. you. Had a bunch of new people write in to let us know that they're alive, which is great. Uh, talking to you know, getting emails from the new people. <laughs> Absolutely, we love hearing you guys are alive. Tom writes in: You guys should put numbers next to the beers you are rating, even if it's a beer advocate numbers. It would give those who rate on one of the beer rating sites a better idea of what you guys think, like a, a, a number for how we rate it, as if we were reviewing the beers right. on Beer Advocate. I, I think that's hard because. 
for me to judge a beer, rate a beer, I'd want to do it BJCP wise, mm-hmm. and I'd have to make sure my numbers in line with other beers of the style and other you know styles of beer. And I just think that would really ruin the continuity of the show if I had to put that much thought into ordering the beers and judging the beers. It's hard enough for us to pick the order of the evening, let alone judge them all. And from a philosophical standpoint, and this this may go a little bit outside of the realm of just beer, (coughs) but as you may know, people especially listen to the pre and post show, I'm I'm a gamer and I, I play a lot of games, PC, console, whatever. When magazines have been reviewing games for however long, and they, most magazines use stars or numbers, and there's a, there's a big debate about whether you should use stars or numbers. I guess a, a better one would be movie reviews, right? Some places use stars and numbers, and some places just review it, and they tell you how they feel about it and don't give you a quick thing. I mean, they want you to read the review and, and decide right. for yourself. And I think that's better. I think it, it's better for us to I – mean, we rank our beers at the end, but it's better to listen to our reviews and see if those are – that's kind of what you want out of a beer as opposed to just getting a straight number from us. Because my number and your number may not at all be what the listener's number is, but right. the flavors and- are likely to be similar and – to what a, a listener would taste. And if a listener wants those flavors, they'll be able to grab them. Those are some good points. My biggest concern was putting out consistent numbers while doing everything else that we have to do to do this show. And it just seems like it's too overwhelming, mm-hmm. actually. And like I said, I wanted it to be consistent, and i just I'm not sure that I could do that and do the show. So I think the ranking is probably as good as we're going to get. And you know, you're going to have to listen to our summaries of the beer, the comments about the beer, to find out if it's a really good number one or if it's right. a mediocre number one. So. Which happens. Rory, who's the Irishman in Sweden, yeah, Sweden, I think, continues the Guinness conversation. Mm. He says he can confirm that it's the same recipe for used in Guinness Extra Cold and Guinness Regular, regular Draft. Extra Cold. <laughs> the difference is entirely in the tap mechanism. Each brew pub where it's served. For Extra Cold, the blue label... The beer is cold-filtered in route to the tap. Unbelievable. Wrecking an otherwise historically great beer. There's a Guinness-loving engineer here in Sweden that asked his local brew pub to allow him to attach a valve gadget to the tap, which is serving extra cold. It bypasses the filter so it can get (laughs) the beer the the normal way. Right. (laughs) And it says they value his patronage enough to serve him the Guinness. So, I mean, that's nice that he he, he managed to get that. I don't think many bars will will give you that taste. He must drink a lot of Guinness. The taste of Guinness draft in cans has definitely slipped over the last decade. Original Guinness Stout still is the best in the old-fashioned pint bottle, but you'll have to travel to rural Ireland to get these. He also recently had a chance to try Guinness Foreign Stout, 8%, fortunately strictly brewed only for the Belgian market. He said that he founded a Belgian pub in East London. It was one of the best beers he's ever had in his entire life. Richer than an imperial stout with a huge chocolate and coffee notes. Retaining some Irish bitterness, though. Sounds interesting. He makes it sound really good, doesn't yeah. it? I guess it's possible that it's one of the best beers out there. I don't think that much of Guinness anymore, but who knows? This, the Guinness 4 and Extra Stout might still be pretty yeah, tasty. I mean, it's, it's certainly possible. Stranger things have happened. Uh, Don writes in, didn't you guys read something about Miller changing their marketing strategy? He found a billboard in the Minneapolis Skyways. There, there's a link on our website to it. It's a billboard has Miller. It says, chug not. So the, Miller's trying to say, don't don't chug our beer because you want to enjoy Savor it. Savor it. <laughs> I, I guess. That, that's funny. They want to make their beer more sophisticated. So instead of going some other way, 
Chugnaut. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of actually changing their beer and trying to make a better beer, they're more concerned with <laughs> changing the way you drink their swill. <laughs> Thomas wrote in, I just started listening to your show on episode 34. I've been drinking a lot of Belgian, Belgian-style beers lately, including a few wit beers. I highly recommend Hitotino Nesk White Ale, brewed by the Kyuchi Brewery in Japan. I think that would be Hitachino Nest White Ale, brewed by the Kyuchi. It's a bit drier than some of the other whip beers that he's had. I've heard about this brewery before, and I think I asked you before when you came back from Japan if you saw them around. No, I didn't, I didn't see them. Maybe they don't have a distribution in Sapporo, where I was. I will be in Tokyo for about three hours on the way there this time, so maybe... Maybe I'll see it in the airport. Okay. Who knows? Now for Thomas's pronunciation gate. In episode 35, we pronounced the bacteria lactobacillus. He says it's pronounced lactobacillus. And he had a wave file from the Bartleby Dictionary. So he's so lactobacillus, lactobacillus. 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 Instead of bacillus. Brett writes in, he picked up a six-pack of Hoogarden over the weekend for your recommendation and loved it. And he must have really loved it because he put stars around the love, so kind of bolded it for us. It was a big hit at the little gathering he had at his house, and thanks to us for pimping it. Well, we, we do pimp when we can, but it's hard <laughs> out there for a pimp. I do have a question for you. I only recently have been branching into different craft beers, and I found that I very much like hoppy beers, IPAs mostly. I know there's a great world of flavor and wonder to be experienced in the realm of maltier beers, but honestly, the sweetness is a big turnoff for him. Can you recommend something that incorporates a good amount of malt without giving way too over-the-top sweetness? I'd say maybe a barley wine. Well, barley wine might be no, really that's too sweet. Too sweet. I, I suggested for his first gateway into sweeter beers would be Brooklyn Brown Ale. Okay, that's hoppy, a start. Yeah, it's hoppy, but also has some maltiness there. So yeah. it has what he already likes, and I think it'd be a great gateway. And I would also check out you know a bunch of porters. I said Sierra Nevada Porter or Anchor Porter would be very good. Mm-hmm. They're not too sweet, and they're uh, great porters. Yeah. John from BeerMapping.com writes in, let us know that he's added a Pittsburgh-area beer map that includes beer stores and beer bars. He has these for a bunch of cities as well as a nationwide brewery map. I really like this site. It's a Google Map API where he has all these bars and beer stores plotted on the map. So you can visually, geographically, find the beers closest to you. I say it's a must-stop for anyone who's planning beer stops in another city, or even in your own. Eduardo writes in, I went to my local bottle shop and saw something that you had been very nice for your rye show. Bell's Rye Stout. Wow. Yeah, another Greg's, stout? Greg's eyebrows just went up. He's like, I mean, first been, off, another stout yeah, from Bell's. I've been enjoying a lot of uh, Bell's Stout, because Bell's is now really you know distributing a lot to Pennsylvania, and I've been grabbing a lot of their stuff. A rye stout from Bell's. That's I haven't seen that. <laughs> it says a very nice beer, and you could definitely taste the rye. Should definitely try it out. Well, if we get our hands on it, we will definitely try that definitely. out. He wanted to know what we thought and our listeners thought of beer cards or these beer passports that places have, where they make you drink one of like a hundred different beers and you get a T-shirt or something mm. like that. Eduardo says he has mixed feelings about this. He thinks it's a good tool to get friends to try new beers, but there's a bunch of domestic macros in there that aren't that exciting. He personally likes going to a local non-college public house. And trying something new. And that's pretty much my opinion was always, yeah. I don't need a passport to tell me what's new. I'll just go find something. Exactly. We would, every time I'm at uh, Sharp Edge or something like that, I'm always going to go for something new. I'm not going to try something that I... Uh, but I've before. never thought of these as a good way to get the people that aren't really beer geeks into trying new beers. But I, don't, but for, I think that some of the motivation is off there because they're drinking it to get a t-shirt. They're not drinking it to try new things. And I don't think that somebody who's drinking to get a t-shirt is going to be like... 
oh, you know, I really like this. Yeah, they're they're just kind of downing it just for the purpose of You know, that's kind it. of how I feel. I mean, I don't want to stereotype every single person, but they're drinking it so they can say, I drank 150 beers, mm-hmm. different beers. You, you would probably convert some of the people, though. I guess one out of every 20 or so are, are going to probably take something and say, you know, I really like this. But I think a lot of those things are, are aimed towards college kids who just want to get drunk and they're just trying to get as many beers as possible so they can get a T-shirt. Carl writes in that he's listened to a couple back episodes and noticed a recurring theme of skunked beers that never make the cut. He's lived in Minneapolis for a few years and is a big fan of Summit, which we had last time. It was pretty pretty well was, skunked. really skunked. Skunked to high heaven. He was disappointed when our bottle turned out bad. And you know what, Carl? So were we. Maybe we should do a show revisiting some of the skunk beers to give them a little justice, he says. Well... Yes, I'd like to do a show revisiting some of our skunk beers. We we did that with or revisit or revisit the skunk beers when we do the style again. I mean, we're yeah. definitely gonna do IPAs again, right? right. And yep. we'll just try to grab another summit. Yeah, and hopefully it's a good one. Gary writes, "I just listened to your show and was very excited to hear you'll be doing a lambics next week. I recently bottled my first lambic style beer, six months old. I did a turbid mash and added nothing else, resulting in spontaneous fermentation within thirty six hours." <laughs> Now, I did taste Lambic-style metal winter at the Great American Beer Fest, but I've never had a true Lambic. And I wrote back to him. I was surprised. He was in mm-hmm. Florida, and he did a spontaneous fermentation. And it turned out, and the way he was describing it, sounds kind of Lambic-ish. Um, I'm surprised, because when I've talked to people about, you know, everyone at home brewer thinks, let's try a spontaneous fermentation. And everyone tells you, it's going to turn out like crap. And he got one that turned out, Drinkable and half decent. I wonder because, like sourdough bread, San Francisco sourdough bread is, I think it's it's the same type of yeast. It's brewer's yeast, but it's just a, a strain that adds that sort of sourness to it. And I wonder if stuff from San Francisco would have a similar effect. Maybe you can actually do it in San Francisco. Other places that have pockets where they have that bacteria and that yeast that's similar to. Yeah, I don't know, but I was uh, was surprised to see that he made a lambic and it turned out. A pro, you know, turned out right, so that's pretty cool. Uh, couldn't you do a lambic without spontaneous fermentation? Fermentation? Couldn't you get the bacteria? And yeah, the, the, the um, and the yeast that you needed. Yeah, White Labs and White Yeast. I think one of them makes a um, a lambic type yeast. They're the wild yeast, so the the Brett yeast. There's Brettomyces lambicus or something similar to that, and then there's mm-hmm. Brettomyces, and it's named after one of the towns. Was it Brussels? Might have been Brussels. So Brettomyces brucellus or something like that. I'm pretty sure that you can get places that have those. You can buy those yeasts. Probably not quite the same, but it's close enough. You know, Alexander writes in, just because it's easier for me as a French speaker to give feedback about pronunciation, here are some pronunciation gate-ish comments. I don't like to nitpick, but it's almost like a running gag with the show, it so don't is. worry. You do a pretty good job overall with the names in French. Unibrew's line of fruit seasonals is, as you've correctly spelled, the word means ephemeral. Yes, that's it. The, the beer is seasonal, after all, and it's pronounced aphemer, not emphir or zamphir. <laughs> and he gives us a little smiley face. And Cantillon's raspberry lambic is rose de gambrinus, as in gambrinus pinkish. Contrast with bacchus pinkish, i.e. a blush wine. During the show, I called it gambrinus de rose, which would imply something like roses gambrinus. Okay. So... What, is, it, what is a Gambrinus? <laughs> it's beer. <laughs> is it raspberry? Is that what it is? It's beer, I think. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. Let's move on to some news. This first story, this first story, doesn't. It's uh, I put here, in news that's nearly all conjecture. <laughs> 
InBev USA official said that it is making a strategic decision last year to focus sales and marketing resources on its high-profit specialty import brands, including Stella Artois, Bass Pale Ale, Bex Brahm, Brahma? Never heard of that one. And Labatt Blue. InBev USA, the unit of the Belgian-based InBev, the world's third largest brewer, did not mention Rolling Rock. So they're... <laughs> I wonder why. They're <laughs> saying that the company is examining opportunities both inside and outside InBev to determine how to optimize full potential of Rolling Rock and Latrobe Brewing Company. What makes this interesting is they talk. We talked about Boston Beer Company expanding, mm-hmm. and they kind of mentioned maybe Boston Beer Company might want to buy Latrobe Brewing. Why? For capacity. Oh, I just get rid of Rolling Rock completely. I mean, I, I can't imagine that Jim Cook would like to get Rolling Rock and produce that stuff. I'm sure no. he doesn't like it. But at the same he time, he could sell the trademark back to someone yeah. else if he gets it, or he could just buy the brewery from Imbev and Imbev, keep the trademark and brew it somewhere else. Right. I don't know. There's really no facts to support all this thing, but it would be interesting to see a large Boston beer factory real close to here. That would be interesting. Pennsylvania Brewing is going to expand. Chief Executive Officer Tom Pistorius said that Penn Brewing will be able to make 15,000 barrels annually. Penn Brewing is the uh, German-style brewery right here in Pittsburgh. They hope that um, they can bring all their contract brews in-house. They were using Frederick Brewing Company to make Mm -hmm. Penn Pilsner. And the cool thing is they're also going to start offering a draft version of the Kaiser Pills at 30 local bars and restaurants. Currently, you can only get it at the brew pub, at the pub inside the brewery. Now, I would say that some of Penn's offerings are better than others. uh, But if you want to experience true German-style food, there's probably no place better in Pittsburgh. Well, there's also Max's Allegheny Tavern, which is a German restaurant. Oh, really? Okay. Well, there's probably only one place. (laughs) One place better. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, they have a really good food there. Yeah, the uh, the Kaiser Pills is pretty good. It's been a long time since I've had it. I need to try it again. And we we really like their um, their Vicens. So. Oh yeah, their Vicens excellent. Venue bans strong beer. Mm-hmm. This is in Australia because uh, fans were getting drunk and fighting. The police made a venue only serve light beer because <laughs> there's what moderately less. That's just going to make me fight more. <laughs> There's nothing moderately less alcohol in light beer, right? Yeah, <laughs> and you're less full, so you're less full, so you drink more of it. But apparently, they say that people can hold light beer better, and there's less fighting. Well, I do hear that you know on light beer, I hear all my friends who drink this stuff say, you know, I can drink tons of it without getting drunk. I'd have to compare the alcohol. I thought it was only like a couple points less. Well, I used to, you know, it goes through you a little bit quicker. Al Qaeda plot to poison beer. <laughs> that's funny. The plan was to get jobs as like. Stadium concession vendors inject the poison into the cans with a syringe and seal them with a sticker. Somehow, I really this just just seems like a fabrication. I mean, it, it seems so silly. I guess they're also planning on running hot dog carts and selling poisoned hot dogs, <laughs> and then they can move the cart without a trace. They were caught by the British police or something. I you know I guess terrorism is a serious subject, but it just seems so such a silly concept. The 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 poison. Beer cans with a syringe and put stickers on it. <laughs> it sounds like something on like a, a third-rate sitcom about terrorists. <laughs> Actually, that sounds like a good idea. We should pitch it. <laughs> the incompetent terrorist show. The top one hundred, like beer. perfect strangers, but with uh, terrorists. Oh, very nice, Balky the terrorist. Uh, top one hundred beers are available at Chef to Chef. Yingling is leading Duvel in Westphalia. What? <laughs> Yingling has the best beer in the world on this website. There's a link on ours if you want to set the record straight and fix that little 
oversight. Uh, I don't know how you can go wrong with Yingling. Dogfish Head announces Golden Shower Imperial Pilsner. Okay, this is going to be in 750 milliliter bottles in draft. Release date is going to be this month, March 2006. Golden Shower is a brewed with all continental Pilsner malt, hopped with the finest noble hops. The beer is dry hopped in the conditioning tank for eight weeks. It's approximately 9% alcohol by volume. The beer is marketing. This is kind of their gimmick here on this one. The beer's marketing is no marketing. Okay. Except for the press release that where I got this information, right, where he's bashing all the American wannabe pilsners. And like their other specialty brews, this will not be available in the Dogfish Head for House in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Oh, that's not nice. It's the truth, though. Most successful new beers of last year. Anheuser's Busch's Budweiser Select was the most successful new beer launched in 2005. Let's just close up shop. There's no point in doing the show anymore. <laughs> Guess not. Oh, man. Budweiser the article goes on to say that... that cr- that's, that's real macro mug. It shows you the power of advertising. Do you remember we tried that? It was so awful. Yeah. Lindemann announces an apple lamb beak, and they have a lot of marketing speak here, which basically says they're bringing up a new beer that's an apple lamb beak. As opposed to they, they have a peach one, they have a currant one, and they have a... Uh, no, not currant. Um, they have... Um, Cassis. Cassis. Uh, cherry. And, and cherry and raspberry. Yeah. So basically, you, you'll be able to find an apple one. It's funny because I was telling Jeff I had a dream about a lemon lambic. <laughs> and I was going through the Lindemann site today, and they, and they have them. this one called a tea beer or tea lambic, and it has lemon and tea in it. <laughs> so you, you have your lemon lambic. It's actually a reality. Well, Jeff, dreams do come true. <laughs> What beer am I? Last I week's, what beer are you? Last week's answer was Six Point Brewery's Bolshoi. Bolshoi. Which is uh, Imperial Stout, and I'd really love to get my hands on some someday. <laughs> the winners were Alexander, Thomas, Dave, Hunter, and our favorite Monkey Toe. Yay, Monkey Toe. Monkey Toe. This week's What Beer Am I is presented by Intern Scott. I am a wit beer. So you're made of wheat. I am named after a type of shark. Oh, really? I am made by a brewery founded by two women. Okay, cool. I have a brother who is an amber ale with a cat on the label. Another who is a stout with a pool ball on the label. A brother who is an IPA that had an elephant on the label but had to be changed because it was politically incorrect. (laughs) That's funny because there's a lot of IPAs that still have elephants on the label. Yeah. Okay, on to if you have a, if you want care to wager a guess for this week's what beer am I? You send the guess to beer at craftbeerradio.com. That was a lot of housekeeping. Yeah, it was. <laughs> we're moving to onto lambiques. We're doing a couple different types of lambiques tonight. We're going to be doing some fruit lambiques and also a huza oh. or goose. Huza, what's it? You can pronounce it goose if you like, Gale. but I, I like huza. It's G U E U Z E. We can talk about the characteristics as we're tasting the beers. So let's go get them, shall we? Okay, we're back. The first beer we're going to have tonight is the Lindemann's Frambose. Frambose? Frambose. Okay. This is um, probably one of the most accessible beers that's not... This is the often talked about beer that we talk about for great... Gateway beers for girls. Now, I hate to be stereotypic, but... For this, for the stereotypical girl, mm-hmm. this is the beer that they have the most odds of liking. This is the beer that my wife drinks, and it cost one hundred and ten dollars a case. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't have to go far to get this beer, but you had to certainly spend a lot of money to get the beer. So 
It comes in a capped and corked bottle. So after we take the cap off and work on the corkscrew, we're drinking this beer first because the next two beers we're going to be having are Cantillon Lambiques and a Huza. And um, if we had this after the sour beers, it would taste like Kool-Aid. Well, do you want to do this one before the other two? I, we could. I was thinking about doing that one last. I didn't okay. want to have too much fruit before the uh, the sour ones. I don't know. I don't know either. I'm, I'm just wondering if, if and it's, uh, the, the Sam Adams Cranberry Lambic is going to be as sour as the Cantillon. And so we are drinking these, by the way, in Lambic glasses. So these are very... They're, uh, they're flutes. They're flutes. They are uh, very I'm thin. For, I, a, I forgot that I was pouring two. I just filled your glass to a perfect pour. <laughs> Looks like I'll have enough for mine. Okay. The appearance on this thing is it is a red... Yeah, sort of purplish a, beer. A nice semi-dark red. I wouldn't say it's super dark. The, the head is pink. The head is pink. Yeah, it's very pink, almost you know closer to red, like a, a darkish pink. The aroma on it is it's ranberries, and there's also a little bit of sourness. What are there. ranberries? That's <laughs> <laughs> it's a raspberry lambic berry. So <laughs> it's a ranberry. <laughs> You go into a store and ask for ram berries. I don't think they'll know what you're talking about. <laughs> They're the little berries that hang under the ram. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a it's a very very fruity uh, raspberry aroma. There's a slight bit of tartness you can get there mm-hmm. too, or maybe the sourness. It's it's the it's the limbic part of this beer. But Lindemans goes so overboard with the fruit they add to these mm-hmm. beers. That's why it's that's why my wife likes it because it, it tastes less like beer than any of the beer that she's had. <laughs> it's it's very sugary too. You can sort of you can smell a sweetness there, and you can still taste some sourness there. Yeah, it's more sour than I remember. Yeah, it's kind of surprising that my wife does like this. It has a more sourness than you think she'd want to deal with. Yeah, but she likes it, and uh, this, it goes away quickly. It, after a while, the sourness goes away. You just left with sort of a straight raspberry taste. You will find this in lots of bars, lots of good bars. And this is, like we said, a good gateway. Good If you're trying to impress a lady friend, let's say. I mean, we don't want to alienate uh, our, our women listeners. But well, um, All the women listeners, we're not talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking to your friends that you go out with and they drink uh, Bartles and James. If you want to impress hoity-toity whiny types, this would is, this is be a good way to do it, to start with this and say, here you go, try this, see what you think. It could be. If you're talking about serious wine drinkers, you might you know, go with something a little more. I don't want to. I mean, a serious wine drinker is not a hoity toity whiny type. Oh, okay. I think of a hoity toity whiny type as a guy who dabbles in wine every once in a while and thinks, it's, thinks he's better for it. Okay. A serious wine drinker, I have a lot of respect for. Okay. This beer is uh, distributed by Merchant Duvin. They also do Samuel Smith's. So anywhere you find Samuel Smith's, you'll be able to find this beer. They have a pretty wide reach. Um, East, West Coast. I don't know if it's every state or not, but there's a lot of merchant vin out there. Like we said, it's a, it's a strong raspberry flavor to start with and a good amount of sourness. Not overpowering sourness, though, but it's there. It's definitely there. Yeah, it's definitely a, a sweetness forward on this. Mm-hmm. The sourness is definitely the undertone. The sourness goes away pretty quickly, and you're left with a, sort of a, a lingering flavor of raspberry. It's sort of hovering around. Yeah, I'd prefer if this beer was significantly drier. I think I think it's a good point because it is it is very wet tasting, wet feeling on the tongue. Yeah, the, the not water. When I when I say when I think of dry, I think the opposite of dry is being sweet. But mm. there's different kinds of sweet, so it's hard to describe that way. You know, 
We were going to talk some of the lambic uh, properties as we're going through. Okay. Well, the one kind we're not tasting tonight is a unblended lambic. But there's no there's, fruit. There's not very many of these. The the one that the BJCP lists as, um, I think it's the only example. Let me see. The only bottled version readily available is Cantillon Grand Cru. Mm. Unblended lambics are very similar to Hooses. Unblended lambic is a single batch that's fermented and bottled. Hooses, they blend several lambics into the beer. So mm. they, they it's kind of a tune it to get what the brewer wants to make. So they could brew up to six, eight different lambics into the Hooza to get what they want. I just love that word, Hooza. Hooza what's it? Or Guse. <laughs> we'll talk about Hooses when we do the Hooza. Then the third type is the fruit lambic. Lots of fruits can be added to lambics. Two nut we're having to, or the, the three we're having tonight are raspberry and cranberry. I think this Cantillon's raspberry too, isn't it? I think so too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Cantillon, the Rose de Cambrinus is raspberry as well. Um, cherries, let's see, there's a Cassis, there's a, is there a currant? No, I haven't had a Cassis currant. Cassis is a black currant, I think it's. Um, okay. It's an aged current, I think. Okay. Apricot is one that's listed on here. Um, there's muscat grape, Merlot grape. So all kinds of fruits can be blended into a Lambic. Well, some of the important stats about the Lindemann's framboise, um, available year-round, has an alcohol of 4%, so it's not, not going to uh, – sort of almost like a session beer. The brewery started in 1809. Brewery is the Brewery Lindemann in Liesenbeek, Belgium. And they, their website is lindemans.be. B-E for Belgium, of course. They talk about here, Lindemann is a beer with an old tradition. Accounts dating back to 1559. Mention the production of Lindemann according to an old recipe, which is 30% wheat, 70% malt. So it's in 1559 they're talking about an old recipe. <laughs> <laughs> the wheat and beer can only be brewed in the southwest of Brussels because the presence of specific wild yeasts such as Bretomyces bruxellensis bruxellensis and Bretomyces lambicus those are the ones I was You're trying right to remember about Brussels, earlier yeah. lambic can be drunk direct from the barrel but is usually used as a base for other beers such as Huza, Faro, Creek, Framboise or Pesh and Cassis or some of the examples that Lindemann's makes now, what kind of you know for the foods? What's going to go with this? This is this is sweet, and so it's probably not going to go with the same thing that a, a wine would go with. It's not going to go with like fish or something, but it would go with dessert, like cheesecake, chocolate, chocolate. Yeah. Also said on Lindemann's site that this beer is typically drunk as an aperitif as well. I can see that. It can so be. A, I would see it much cleanser. more on the dessert side, but and and like like we said last week, you know this this might go with, go with a salad. Because of the sourness. This one's a little too sweet. I don't know if I could drink do this one with a salad. I don't know. I, w- I, mean, I could. I could drink it, but I don't know if I'd prefer to drink this with a salad. I don't know. Raspberry vinaigrette is going to taste somewhat similar. It's going to be not as sweet, but yeah. you can get some sweet flavors out of, say, either carrots or uh, celery. Cellar temperature on this is 45 to 50 degrees. Serving temperature is the same. This can be settled for long periods under the proper conditions. They're low alcohol, but the, the yeast in them, the makeup of these beers, allow them to be sellable. Do have plenty of yeast in there. Now, these are not heavily hopped, right? 
No. Actually, for Limbiques, it's the one beer style where they can use aged hops. Hmm. And aged hops can give some pretty funky flavors, <laughs> like cheesy type flavors. Hmm. And uh, Limbiques, uh, I don't know in every style or which styles they do and don't, but some of the brewers used aged hops in, for the Limbiques because they don't want that hoppy alpha acid bittering in it. I noticed the Fram, the Framboise is in a, a green bottle, but it certainly doesn't taste skunked at all. Yeah, these are both green bottles, too, yeah. I think. And I, I don't think I've ever had a Lambic that was skunked. No, that's because the hops are just yeah. barely there. When they brew these beers, or after they make them, they pump them, depending on the brewery, but a lot of them have these um, open, wide-open, shallow vessels. They pump it up into the upstairs attic of the brewery. They open up the levers and let all the microbiota come in and fall onto mm-hmm. the beer. And then, like the next morning, they pump it into the fermenting tank, and it starts hmm. churning away there. They use an open-air fermenter? Probably. Pretty sure I remember reading about Lindemans, where they just have these huge rooms, and, and when it starts fermenting, it starts spitting funk all over the place, and it's all over the walls and floors. And <laughs> I know that, uh, I think I mentioned this story before, but Tower Brewery had a big open-end, open end open uh, top fermenter for uh, their wheat beers. Okay. And they said that if you get close to this, if you get too close to it when it's fermenting, you'll die because the carbon dioxide will like, instantly get you. <laughs> It'll all suffocate the, you. All huh? the CO2 that's knocking out of those things. Okay, I'm glad this beer's almost over. It's getting too sweet for me. <laughs> it just keeps building the sweetness. And the, the, the sweetness does keep building a bit. I mean, I still notice the sourness in there, but ready for something different. And something different we will get. Now, let's go with the... I expect these Kentions will be more sour. Okay, so, you so let's go with one? the Sam Adams Cranberry Lambic. This okay. is uh, one of the. This is the only American Lambic that we are covering today. This is Jim Cook's Frosted Breweries Cranberry Lambic from Sam Adams. It has an ar- interesting aroma that shot out once it took the cap off. That's for sure. Five point nine percent alcohol, so it's a higher alcohol than the Lindemans. From Boston Beer Company in Boston, Massachusetts. SamAdams.com. I had this beer once before. And uh, it was before I, when I was really into beer. I was kind of into beer. You know, I knew I wanted to be into beer, but I wasn't into it yet. Mm-hmm. So I toured the, the pilot brewery up in Boston. And we tried this beer. And I never really figured out if I liked it or not. <laughs> well, no better chance than right now. They have annual production of 1.6 million barrels. And I started in 1983. Color on it, it's it's a brown. There might be a little red tint to it, yeah. maybe. It's hard to tell. The head pours a nice creamy white. It sort of looks like a, a light iced tea. But it smells wheatish. Yeah, the aroma. Well, there is wheat in the Olympic style. I'm getting two kinds of aroma. Point my nose right on the glass, I'm getting that wheat aroma. But like, with the glass sitting there, or here. Don't stick your nose right on top of the bottle, but like a couple inches away, just try to get some aroma. And you're getting a different kind of aroma there. It's more of a, maybe some of the yeah, cranberries. The bottle here. A little bit of, um, I don't know. Sugary. Yeah, maybe Sweet. Could be the wild yeast. Yeah, and actually, no, I let this sit a bit. You're saying sweetness. It's, um, oh, what is that? The, the, it's a, it smells like something else. It smells like. It smells malty and sweet to me. Actually. Okay. See, I'm smelling a little bit of sourness there. But uh, there's another smell that's not beer-related that I'm picking up. You know how like, I, I named the paint type thing? Yeah, I think that's paint. I was going to say <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. I don't think it, this isn't really something like paint to me, but it, it's something just as unrelated. <laughs> Markers. No. 
Not getting markers. <laughs> oh, I'm going to give this thing a taste. I can't wait. Okay, how would you describe this? Well, the cranberry is relatively subdued. Yeah. I'm getting almost sort of a ginger ale kind of flavor from it. Mm. The cranberry is there on the sides of my mouth and in the center. It's not ginger ale exactly, but it, it feels something like ginger ale close to it and approximately that's kind of what i was smelling not ginger but some other kind of spice um not quite nutmeg i don't think no so the spear is not particularly sour no but if you, you hunt for it you can find the belgian yeast in there mm-hmm. and actually there is a little bit of a sour in the late aftertaste the sourness is there this is not as kind of bold a lambic as these next two, I'm pretty sure, are going to be. Mm-hmm. It's not as bold, really, as the framboise was. It's, it's uh, or the the the, the, the Niedemans. Yeah, you're right. I mean, even though it was so fruity, there was more real lambic behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's sort of a safer lambic. Remember, I told you right just a few minutes ago. I wasn't sure if I liked it. Uh-huh. Still not sure. It, it's one of those things where I understand where they're going from in, in the sense of if you're introducing yourself to a lambic, this is kind of a gateway to some of the you know big time sourness that you're gonna going to expect, but it's not the same. It's an American style that it's kind of like we're, we're making something that's, that's crazy in Belgian, but you don't have to go get something. I, I don't know. I don't know if I I'm really into this one because. I'm expecting lambicness. I'm expecting that sourness. I'm expecting that big time freeness and sourness together. Okay, on the neck label, they always have a little bit of information on the same Adams beers. This mm-hmm. you'll find this interesting. Our version of a traditional Belgian lambic is brewed with native American cranberries, a unique top fermenting yeast, and a touch of maple syrup. Maple syrup. That's what it was. Now I'm tasting it. You know, I can feel it now. Yep. That's what I was trying to smell. That's what I could smell when I first popped the cap. It was, I knew it was very, something sweet and sugary. very light syrup type aroma. <clears throat> I knew it was something sweet and sugary. So I, yeah, maple syrup is there definitely. It's in uh, you know cranberry is pretty much it is an American fruit. I mean, mm-hmm. There is not no fruit I think more quintessentially American than cranberries. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, the maple syrup was what was stumping us. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Now you can taste it. You can smell it. Oh yeah, it's definitely there and. Now that I know that, I kind of see what they're going for a bit. I don't know if, whether I'm going to rank this high because it's not what I would expect out of traditional lambic. But I, I see. But where else are you going to? What else are you going to call this? You make this beer. What else do you call this? I think uh, it's a decent beer. It's just American farmhouse. Okay. No, okay. I mean maybe that's what they're going for. Maybe they wanted to do an American version. Come on, maple syrup and cranberries, mm-hmm. wheat. They had to get a yeast with some more wild character to it, so they went with the Belgian yeast. You know, Samuel Adams, you know, the you know forefather type thing. I could see them wanting to do a, an American farmhouse type beer, and I think this would be appropriate for if such a style existed. Yeah, that you see. I mean, cranberries is a flavor that's. Somewhat close to apple, and I can almost taste kind of an apple tartish type flavor here. I remember something uh, when I tasted this at the brew pub or at the, the tasting room at the brewery. It was very cloudy and very pinkish, and the, it looks completely different here. 
I mean, it Maybe was like yeast it was like a milky, it was like a milky cloudiness when it was on top. Now you don't want to distribute the yeast in inland beaks. It's this, not it's yeah. not like a Weizen. Yeah, this is filtered, so there's no, okay. nothing to decant on the bottom. It's funny how knowing about a beer can sort of change your opinion of it, and knowing what they were going for. Mm-hmm. Because I'm expecting lambiques, I'm not going to enjoy this as much. I'm expecting cranberries and maple together as sort of a farmhouse style. It's I can a, really appreciate. It. I know, me too. It's it's uh, it tastes different in my mouth. It uh, it's it's very weird how you know certain impressions and certain uh, premonition or perceptions. Uh, perceptions. I mean, your perceptions yeah. sort of the way you think about it will certainly change how you approach it. It's like. Uh, you ever drink something and you think it's something else completely different? Like you think you're drinking milk and it's a glass of orange juice? Yeah. <laughs> How weird that tastes. <laughs> that That's a good example. It's probably a more extreme example because the, 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 the flavor didn't change that much. But what we're looking for, what we're mm-hmm. trying to pick out flavor-wise is totally different. And because of that, we're gonna, we're enjoying those flavors much more. It's certainly weird how much my opinion changed when I read that neck label, which is weird. Marketing worked, damn it. <laughs> Our next beer is something more of a true lambic. This is the Cantillon Rose de Gambrinus, 5% alcohol from uh, Cantillon Brasier Cantillon in Brussels. Brewery started in 1900 on the nose. Brasserie, maybe for brewery. Instead of, you said brassier or something. I think it's brasserie. Brasserie. But then again, we're just guessing and yeah. someone will let us know. I said cantillon.be. C-A-N-T-I-L-L-O-N dot B-E. Cantillon. This is uh, Captain Corked, like the Lindemans. And we are going to pour. This was bottled in 2004. Okay, so it's not exact. It's not super old, but these are generally aged, right? Before they're bottled. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of marketing stuff that Jeff copied down here. A little story about some guy who first opened up the their first batch and said it's the color of onion skin. Ooh, I'm pouring this in the aroma. It's a lambic. Yeah. <laughs> now here Lovely. you go. Th- th- this is what you're talking about when you want a real lambic. You want to really go for it all. This is it. The, the, it's pouring a. A dark peach color, I'd say. The the aroma on this one, it's it's so acidic, so vinegary, and there's a little bit of freeness there, but there's a lot of a lot of acidicness, a lot of this really vinous, even more than vinous, this acidic quality. There you go. <laughs> oh yeah. There you go. Makes you pucker. That definitely. It's like. The sourest sour patch kid. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. <laughs> oh man, I'm not sure if I'm tasting raspberries in this. I taste it. You you get immediate sourness, and like it almost makes you pucker. And as it's fading away, the fruit kind of as you breathe over a little bit, you taste the fruit. But there's a huge amount of sourness here. Some of the things you want to look for in a lambic, mostly in umbrella and blendeds, but you might get them here. Are fun things like a barnyard character. Mm-hmm. Or a horse blanket, and I'm not sure if I can get it in this raspberry blended one, but like in the Grand Cru, which I had before, you can definitely taste a little bit of horse blanket. It's I can taste awesome. a little bit of horse blanket here. Can it's a, it's it's almost peatiness. It's it's the same sort of dimension of flavor. A little bit of of, of kind of earthiness that goes along with the sourness. 
Yeah, there's just so much complex sour flavor there. It's yeah. it's hard to put in the words. We we don't want to. It's it's not like sucking on a lemon. I mean, it, it's sour. It's very sour, but there, there's there's little complex flavors that are just peeking in that sourness too. I mean, this is really like laying on your tongue. The sourness is really. Yeah. I and mean, you just swallow and you swallow and you swallow. You get some saliva. Try mm-hmm. to wash off your tongue and swallow, and it's still sour. But what words can we use other than sour? <laughs> Not much. Yeah. Very, very tart. Very uh, vinegary. Mm-hmm. What would this go with? <laughs> I think this would go with a salad. Yeah. Maybe fish. I will, yeah, I think. Would it be overpowering for fish? Well, the same way you can pour lemon directly on a fish. Yeah. Yeah, very good point. What kind of cheese would go with this? It says here, for unblended lambics, which I imagine... Yeah, this one's closer to an unblended than a fruit, yeah, really. A sharp cheese like blue or cheddar, or a pungent cheese like gorgonzola or limburger. Yeah. Your cheddar might go well with this. I can see a really sharp cheddar. Okay, yeah. Blue is certainly you know pungent, but yeah. I don't know if that flavor would really complement this beer. I mean... It, so blue can be a little bit over, a little bit too much, and but I think the cheddar is is like a, a, I like very sharp cheddars. Okay, uh, and I think a very sharp cheddar would. You wouldn't want a cheese that's too coating, right? Like you know how blue's kind of coating, and it would go with a stout. Like right. we had them with, we had the idea of doing it with imperial stouts before, but uh, I don't think I think it would be a little too coating for this beer. This beer wouldn't really cut through it. Now, part of the, this being such a sour beer is it is more of a sipper than the other ones. We're not even halfway through. I'm also drinking it slow because I want to make this one last. Mm-hmm. If you aren't prepared for it, if you aren't prepared for it sour, it's going to hit you like vinegar at first. Yeah, it definitely comes across as vinegar at first. But if you, I mean, if you're drinking... Give it a chance and there's so many extra flavors. There's lots of little little things that it's so hard to describe because there's a little freeness in there. There's um, um, earthy flavors that are coming through from the yeast... I would say it's not quite as potent as vinegar, though. No, it's it's it's, so it's, it's going to strike you as vinegar. Yeah, like don't the first scare taste. The, don't be scared of it. I think because you know, as sour as you may be prepared for, it's probably going to strike you as a little bit more power, more sour than you're prepared for. But give it a chance. Your your taste buds will adapt. I wish I could find more descriptive terms to use on this beer. I should just be able to plug in my taste buds into the MP3 recorder here and, <laughs> and go with it because. I just I'm enjoying the flavor, but I have nothing to say about it really. There's lots of citrus notes coming through. Okay, because I'm tasting lemon. I'm tasting sharp orange. That's probably from the acetic acid. From the acetic acid, yeah, because yeah, so citrus getting, acid citric acid is very closely related. Yeah, so that's why you're getting um, a lot of the similar type feels. And yeah, it's certainly like a, a lemon juice, or you know, has a lot of that mouthfeel that lemon juice has. Right, but not quite as puckering as a lemon juice, I would say. This is one of the most challenging ones to describe yeah, yet, isn't it? There, there's kind of, like I said, there's a dark sort of earthy flavor. One of my uh, patented below flavors coming kind of in, in the back of your tongue with this. And I think, like I say, that that's mostly from the yeast. Could you imagine what the fermenting room smells like when this thing's fermenting? I can't. <laughs> I mean, imagine all the funky sulfur and yeah. stuff that's coming off of the out of the fermenting vats. Yeah. I mean, normal beers can smell pretty funky when you're fermenting. Imagine what this one smells like. At one point, I asked you about brewing a lamb because I didn't know. Mm-hmm. 
And you said, well, yeah, we can do it if you just want to throw out all my brewing equipment as soon well, as you're done. Yeah, I've, I've read, like, if you want to brew a, a lambic and actually use the lactobacillus bacteria, it's very hard to get cleaned out of your equipment. So people who do brew lambics typically, and use the bacteria uh-huh. to get the the, the very acidic um, character in these beers, will have a, their separate set of cold side lambic fermenters and equipment. But you could brew a, a similar style using just the yeast, and I'm pretty sure you won't have much problem getting that clean. I mean, you're using the, you you're using, the, you're using you know some Brettomyces yeast, which is different than the Saccharomyces. Saccharomyces is what most brewing yeast is. Brettomyces is the wild yeast. Okay, and that stuff might be harder to kill too, and you might get wild yeast infections if you don't, you know you'll definitely get wild yeast infections if you don't get that cleaned out of your brewing equipment now how hard that stuff is to clean compared to saccharomyces and compared to uh, lactobacillus you know i'm not sure but i'm not planning on using any brett or any uh bacteria <laughs> in my brewing anytime soon now we tried the cassis before the uh, lindemann's cassis the dark current mm-hmm. and both of us really didn't like it yeah not much of a fan of that I mean, we like that current that, you know, the dogfish head current was very good. It's kind of sour like these, mm-hmm. not quite as sour, but I really like, you know, the sour flavor. Yeah, you really got a different flavor from those. The cassis was a little more minty. Yeah, minty. Like and a wintergreen type flavor. Just wasn't into it when we had it. Yeah, I've had the, the I've had them all. The, the creek's very uh, tart mm-hmm. from the wild cherries. Not a big fan of that one. The Pesh is probably my second. It's it's I might like it a little bit more than the Frambos, because um, it's not quite as the sweetness doesn't quite build up as much as the Frambos does. But then again, the BJCP class we had the Pesh after the Cantillon Grand Cru, right? And it tasted like Kool Aid. So you know what Kool Aid when you're drinking beer? That's for sure. These beers are very lowly carbonated. Yeah, but it Maybe feels. You know, it doesn't have a lot of alcohol in it, but it feels warm as it's going down. All that sourness really, you know, okay. kind of coats your your esophagus as it's going down. Okay, I, I, I think it's acidic. It's it's warming up. It's eating through your esophagus, probably. <laughs> but it's a good feeling. And we're done with that, and so we're going to move on to our last beer of the night: the organic. Who's who's a who's a what's it? This is five percent alcohol by volume. It's also from brewery from Brassier. Brasserie Cantillon. Cantillon. I keep I keep doing that. Man. Brewery started in 1900, like we said before. Cantillon.be. This is a... Uh, who is it? Which is slightly different. It's, it's a blend of young and old lambics, which are then bottled after blending and then aged for a couple of years to produce a drier, fruitier, and sort of more intense style of lambic. No hop character whatsoever. Some are filtered and forced carbonated, if not pasteurized. Some say this is more harsh lamb because the sourness is pretty intense. Well, okay. This one's from 2004 as well. More intense sourness. I'd like to see that. Hmm, it's pouring a uh, almost white wineish color. Or apple juice. Yeah, very much like apple juice. A little bit paler than apple juice, I'd say. And frankly, it smells maltier. I'll be honest. It you know has a has a smaller head, a puffy whitish small head. Smells somewhat. You got some yeast in there for me. Oh, sorry. Oh well. Smells somewhat malty. 
almost sort of pale ale ish from the smell. I don't know if I'd say pale ale. In comparison okay. to. Yeah, it's not quite as. Uh, not as sour smelling, but there's still some sourness in it. It's not quite as sour. But there's almost a fruitier dimension to it. Yeah. But also a little bit of. of almost like rind. Did you get any mintiness? No, what I got was like you know, after you skin a lemon, you get some of that rind in there. Okay. You get some of that flavor. It's a little, little off. Yeah, it's not as quite as puckering. It's not as tart mm-hmm. overall. But again, we're more accustomed to sour beers, so that could have a right. difference of our. Uh, no, it's still it's still impression. not as sour. I, I I could pretty much say that with conviction. It's it's you pretty it's pretty sour though. It's not as whole mouth sour. Mm-hmm. But there is a portion of the aftertaste that is pretty darn sour, if not right. more sour. I see what you're going with. Yeah, you're right. There's a part of the aftertaste that kind of hits you on the sides that is really sour, and that's where the kind of that rhininess comes in. That mm-hmm. that um, I, I keep thinking that rind is the wrong word for this. Maybe pith is what I'm thinking of. There's a couple different aspects to the beer as you drink it. Like the the rose was pretty much the same flavor from front to back. Mm-hmm. This one. When you first take a sip, it tastes like something's being a little bit muted. Like it's not quite as sour. It's a little bit, um, it's like buffered, if you will. Like you're not getting the flavors right away. And then there's that flavor you were talking about. Not the, not the pithiness that you're getting in the sourness at the very end, but there's, um, there's like three distinct stages to the flavor of this mm-hmm. beer. I'm trying to figure out what the second one is. There's a sourness, fruitiness, and then Abject sourness with pithiness. Yeah, that fruitiness that you're talking about, it's um it's very grapefruit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seems like the, the sourness is accumulating as the more you drink this beer. It seems like the aftertaste just gets more potent and more potent and more <laughs> potent. Hmm. This beer could be conserved for a long time. We kept in a good cellar, the Cantillon Guse. We'll still have an exceptional taste of flavor after 20 years, they say. Wow. 20 years. I think I need to purchase another one and <laughs> put it away for 20 years. Craft Beer Radio episode 412 will be tasting it. <laughs> Actually, that wouldn't be 20 years, would it? No, it would not be 20 years, assuming we keep up a weekly schedule. I wonder if, like, They'll like Futurama us, and one day, like in the year 3000, our heads will be doing craft beer radio. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be a nice way to have our heads saved because, you know, they only seem to do it for famous people. Okay, well, I guess it's, it's that time the show when we rank. Oh, yeah, since we're running long, we might as well. <laughs> so, hmm. sour one, sour two, or sour three? <laughs> yeah. Jeff, do you want to do it this time? Do you go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Okay. They're already in that order. Oh, I think I like the uh, the Cantillon Rose, the Grembriness, the best. There's raspberries in it, but I really couldn't tell. But I think I enjoyed the sourness of that beer better than this one. Mm-hmm. I like this one too. This one's a very close second. But if I had to pick one Cantillon over the other, I think I like the Rose better. Number three is going to be the Samuel Adams, because once we talked about it and figured out, hey, let's do an American Lambic with some maple syrup, it started tasting like American Lambic with maple syrup. <laughs> And I have to put the Lindemans last because at the very end I could barely finish it because the sweetness was really building on me and and it was just ugh, I don't have to drink any more of this. So I'm going to be slightly different in my rankings. I think, um, and I like the same Adams, but I'm, I'm going to have to put it last simply because, 
like we said, it's more of a farmhouse style lambic, and uh, I'm going for lambics here. Okay, feels out of style, and there's something about this this huza which is turning me off. That last kind of pithiness, okay, is turning me off a bit to it. So because of that, my rankings by default go to the uh, the Rose de Gambrinus number one. I think we love that one. Mm-hmm. It was, we went to really enjoy that one. Then the uh, Framblau. Actually, yeah, it did get a little bit sweet at the end, but it still didn't turn me off as much as. And it's it's not like the the Who's S Seven is turning me off big time, but it's just slightly more turning me off than than, than the, the Frambos, which I expected to like less. But I actually liked. It. I thought it was more sour than I remembered. Okay. Uh, so that that kind of gave it a little boost because it was did have some of the Lambie quality that I really wanted. Sure. So that's my ranking. Okay. Okay, stay tuned to our website. Go to the uh, the upcoming beers post, and, and I'll move to the top, whatever we're doing next. And uh, tune in next week while we do a aforementioned beer. <laughs> Thank you very guys. much for listening. Send us an email at beer at craftbeerradio.com. Uh, what do they think you're saying at the end? Uh, crash Beer Radio. Crash Beer Radio is not, gra- it's not Crash Beer Radio. It's Craft Beer Radio. Yeah, I'm going to re-record that soon. Enjoy the ending theme song. You know what to burn it That's all for Craft Beer Radio. If you have any questions or comments, email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. And feel free to send us an audio comment in MP3. Our intro and closing music is Lameface by Feeble Wiener. You can find a link to Feeble Wiener on our website. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Check out craftbeerradio.com for more information. Yeah, 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 yeah,